This episode focuses on dysrhythmias and a simplified approach to pacemakers and AICDs. We will first go over specific rhythms and then the management. The first rhythm is sinus rhythm. It's usually between 60 to 100 beats a minute. The rhythm is regular with a one-to-one relationship of the P to the QRS. The P waves are upright in leads 1, 2, and AVF. Lead 2 is a typical lead for a rhythm strip. Sinus tachycardia is exactly like sinus rhythm except for the rate is greater than 100 and usually less than 160 beats per minute. Now moving on to supraventricular tachycardia. Here P waves are abnormal and may not be visible. They are often hidden in the preceding T wave or they may immediately follow the QRS complex. In supraventricular tachycardia, the rhythm is regular, and the QRS complexes are usually narrow, but may be wide because of an aberrant conduction through a bypass tract or pre-existing bundle branch block. Here, the ventricular rate is usually 120 to 220 beats per minute. An atrial fibrillation is an irregularly irregular rhythm due to uncoordinated atrial activation and random occurrence of ventricular depolarization. The atria are not pumping, but they do discharge electrical impulses to the ventricles. It is the most common sustained dysrhythmia. It occurs in about 2% of the general population and about 5% of people older than 60 years. Here P waves are absent, but small irregular deflections in the baseline occur and they are called F or fibrillation waves. The rhythm is irregularly irregular. The ventricular response is variable, but is generally between 160 to 180 beats per minute in untreated patients. A rate that is greater than 200 beats per minute with a wide QRS complex suggests Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome with conduction through the accessory pathway. A regular, slow ventricular rate may be digitalis toxicity. Atrial flutter is a very rapid atrial rhythm, and it always occurs with some sort of AV block, resulting in a block that is either a fixed ratio, i.e. 2 to 1, 3 to 1, 4 to 1, etc., or a variable AV block. The P waves have a characteristic sawtooth pattern and are called F or flutter waves. The atrial rate is generally between 250 to 350 beats per minute. Suspect atrial flutter with a 2 to 1 block in patients who present with a fixed regular ventricular rate of 150 beats per minute. Multifocal atrial tachycardia originates from multiple different atrial sites and is characterized by P waves of varying shapes. There must be at least three distinct P waves in one lead. The rhythm is irregularly irregular. It is classically seen in COPD and theophylline toxicity. The management is directed towards treatment of underlying condition. Cardioversion is generally ineffective. The rhythm itself should not cause hemodynamic instability. Ventricular tachycardia is three or more consecutive PVCs occurring at regular rate that is greater than 120 beats per minute. QRS complexes are wide, generally greater than 0.12 seconds and may be bizarre. The rate is greater than 120 and is usually between 150 and 200 beats per minute. The rhythm is generally regular. The QRS axis is generally constant. Ventricular tachycardia is classified as monomorphic, where the QRS complexes look the same, or polymorphic, where the QRS complexes have varying morphology. Superventricular tachycardia with aberrancy and ventricular tachycardia can look similar. However, because of the misdiagnosis of ventricular tachycardia can be deadly, if there's any doubts about the diagnosis whatsoever, always assume that wide complex tachycardia is VTAC and treat it as such.
torsades de point is a type of polymorphic ventricular tachycardia with QRS axis that swings from a positive to a negative direction in a single lead causing a sine wave appearance. It originates from a single focus and is usually precipitated by diseases or drugs that prolong the QT interval. Other causes include hypomagnesemia and hypokalemia. The rate is typically 200 to 240 beats per minute. Ventricular fibrillation is most commonly recognized as a fine or coarse zigzag pattern without discernible P waves, QRS complexes, or T waves, and represents the presence of unorganized ventricular electrical activity, and by definition, there is no organized perfusion, and therefore, the pulse is absent. PEA, or pulseless electrical activity, refers to many different rhythms characterized by the presence of some type of electrical activity other than ventricular tachycardia or ventricular fibrillation in the absence of a pulse. Remember the H's and T's when you work this up. Additionally, you can do the PEA evaluation of a wide or narrow QRS. A wide QRS is usually a left ventricular or metabolic problem like severe hyperkalemia or sodium channel blocker toxicity. It could also be an acute MI or pump failure. Narrow QRS is usually a mechanical or RV problem like cardiac tamponade, tension pneumothorax, mechanical hyperinflation, pulmonary embolism, also acute MI can cause this. Six sinus syndrome manifests as a wide variety or combinations of bradyrrhythmias and tachyarrhythmias. This most commonly presents in the elderly and documentation of both brady and tachyarrhythmias in association with symptoms of dizziness, palpitations, or fatigue is a cornerstone of the diagnosis. First degree AV block is where the AV conduction is slightly prolonged. There is a one to one relationship between the P and the QRS. The PR interval is prolonged, so greater than 0.2 seconds and it does not have to be treated. Second-degree blocks divided into Mobitz type 1, the wanky block, which is where the PR interval lengthens until a beat is dropped. Mobitz type 2 is where the PR interval is stable until a beat is dropped, and type 3, or a complete heart block, is when there is a complete disassociation between the P waves and the QRS waves. For pre-excitation syndromes, the most common is Wolf-Parkinson-White, and there you have a delta wave in a short PR interval, usually less than 0.12 seconds. So now for etiologies and managements of dysrhythmias. For sinus tachycardia, there are many causes, and the management in most instances should be directed at finding and treating the underlying cause. The most common causes are stimulant or sympathomimetic drugs, fever, hypovolemia, hyperthyroidism, pulmonary embolism, anemia, hypoxia, or pain. For sinus bradycardia, common causes are acute inferior wall MIs, vasovagal events, drug effects, sick sinus syndrome, hypothermia, or hypothyroidism. This can also be a normal variant, especially in people who exercise a lot. Management here is only indicated for people who demonstrate signs of hypoperfusion due to the bradycardia, like those in shock with hypotension, ischemic chest pain, decreased mentation, or acute CHF. The sequence in which you go is atropine, half of a milligram every five minutes until a response is noted for around a total of three milligrams. You should give 0.5 milligrams every time and not less because that can actually decrease the heart rate more. 
You can then go to transcutaneous pacing, which is the treatment of choice for patients who are unresponsive to atropine. Then you could also step it up to transvenous pacing, which may be required if symptomatic bradycardia persists despite vasopressors and or transcutaneous pacing. You can also use epinephrine at 2 to 10 micrograms per minute. For SVTs, these are broad term. However, here we'll use it to refer specifically to AV nodal reentrant tachycardias or AV NRTs. The management is determined primarily by hemodynamic stability, hemodynamic compromised patients, those with hypotension, ischemic chest pain, decrease in mental status, or acute CHF with narrow complex should be treated with synchronized cardioversion. Start with 50 joules. However, if they are stable, you can use vagal maneuvers and pharmacotherapy. The first vagal maneuver to do is the revert maneuver. Then you can go to adenosine, which because of its safety profile is a drug of choice for the hemodynamically stable patient with narrow complex SVT. First you go 6 milligrams and 12 milligrams and 12 milligrams. You could also use calcium channel blockers like diltiazem. And lastly, patients who do not respond to drug therapy may be treated with synchronized cardioversion. For the doses of diltiazem, you want to start with 0.25 milligrams per kilogram IV over 2 minutes, and then 15 minutes later, uh, 0.35 milligram per kilogram at the first bolus did not work. For atrial fibrillation, which is the most common SVT, you first want to determine if this is the first episode of AFib or if this is recurrent. Generally, permanent is defined as more than one year, where paroxysmal is defined as less than seven days with most less than 24 hours. You want to search for reversible causes, such as acute MI, hyperthyroidism, or acute pulmonary disease. For unstable patients, you immediately perform synchronized cardioversion. For stable patients with significant symptoms, you use pharmacologic therapy and you first control the ventricular rate with a calcium channel blocker or amiodarone and then you convert the dysrhythmia based on the duration of the AFib. For less than 48 hours in normal cardiac function, you can perform electrical cardioversion or chemical cardioversion using amiodarone or procainamide. And those with compromised cardiac function, you perform synchronized cardioversion or use amiodarone. For those whose symptoms have lasted for longer than 48 hours, you avoid immediate cardioversion. Put them on anticoagulation and admit them for TEE, guided cardioversion. And then for PVCs, you want to look for causes such as electrolyte abnormalities, drugs, ischemia, or hyperthyroidism. If none of these are present, you do not have to treat them. For ventricular tachycardia, the management depends on the status of the patient and the QRS morphology. If there is no pulse, begin CPR and defibrillate as soon as a defibrillator is available. Start with 200 joules. If the patient has a pulse but is hemodynamically unstable, use synchronized cardioversion. Start with 100 joules and increase energy if unsuccessful. If the patient is clinically stable, like awake, pain-free, and good blood pressure, you can use pharmacologic therapy such as procainamide, 20 to 50 milligrams per minute until the rhythm is suppressed, the QRS widens by more than 50% or hypotension develops, or amiodarone, 150 milligrams IV bolus over 10 minutes. For ventricular fibrillation and pulseless ventricular tachycardia, the management is immediate defibrillation. Here, time is of the essence. Chest compressions should be performed while preparing for defibrillation. Begin shocks at maximum joules. During this time, you're going to continue ACLS 
and other drugs you can use are amiodarone, 300 milligrams IV bolus. You can also use magnesium sulfates, one to two grams IV push. And if more than three shocks have been attempted, you may use an esmolol push. Now with AV blocks, the first degree AV block is often a normal variant and therapy is not required here. For Mobitz type 1 wanky block, it's usually transient and unless the patient is symptomatic, specific therapy is generally not required. However, symptomatic patients should be treated with atropine if this fails, transcutaneous pacing is indicated. For Mobitz type 2, this is a more severe form of block. This implies an organic lesion in the infranodal conduction system and is often permanent. These patients require pacing and transcutaneous pacing may be used as a bridging device while preparations are made for the insertion of a transvenous pacemaker. You should avoid atropine because what it can do is it can accelerate the atrial rate and produce a relative increase in the AV block. For third degree or complete AV blocks, you want to look at the QRS complex. If it's narrow and third degree, it should be treated like a second degree Mobitz type 1 AV block with atropine or transcutaneous pacing while infranodal or wide complex AV blocks is usually in association with acute anterior wall MI and implies significant structural damage to the infranodal conduction system. It almost always requires insertion of a transvenous pacemaker. Transcutaneous pacing or catecholamines may be used as a bridging device while awaiting pacemaker insertion. For WPW, the management is determined by the patient's cardiovascular stability and the width of the QRS complex. A narrow complex WPW, also known as orthodromic tachycardia, which is the most common presentation here, is treated in the same manner as other reentrant SVTs. WPW with a wide complex SVT, also known as antidromic tachycardia, um, can be treated in multiple ways. If the patient is hemodynamically compromised, treat with cardioversion immediately, and stable patients can be treated with IV procainamide or amiodarone. Now it's worth talking about WPW with atrial fibrillation or flutter. Here uh, it is characterized by an extremely rapid rate, typically 150 to 300 beats per minute, irregularly irregular tachycardia with QRS complexes that randomly vary in width and amplitude, which distinguishes this rhythm from VTAC and atrial fibrillation with bundle branch block. Here what you want to do is you want to get pads on them and uh, cardiovert them fast and often. Now switching over to pacemakers, there are a few indications for temporary cardiac pacing. The emergent indications are hemodynamically unstable patients with bradycardia and bradycardia associated with malignant escape rhythms that do not respond to pharmacologic therapy. The prophylactic indication or just to have it by the bedside are stable bradycardias like asymptomatic or those that respond to initial drug therapy or the presence of one of the following in the setting of acute MI. Um, symptomatic sinus node dysfunction, Mobitz type 2, second degree AV block, or complete heart block. Some tips for putting in a temporary transvenous pacemaker placement. The ideal location of the catheter tip is lodged in the trabecula of the apex of the right ventricle. The right IJ is a preferred access site because it provides the most direct route to the right ventricle. When ECG guidance is used, the 5 lead is connected to the distal lead of the pacing catheter with a standard connector or alligator clip. Then when you're monitoring it, the pacing catheter is advanced and the size of the P wave in the QRS complex is watched to determine the location of the catheter tip. The size of the wave forms will increase when the corresponding heart chambers are entered. The development of ST elevation indicates successful placement of the catheter tip. Additionally, 
chasing results in a left to bundle branch block pattern on the surface EKG. After you place the pacemaker, get AP and lateral chest x-rays to confirm appropriate placement and exclude pneumothorax. And for pacemaker failure, there are a few tools for evaluating malfunction. You get an EKG to confirm the appropriate sensing and capture are occurring and to indirectly assess the position of the pacing catheter by evaluating the QRS morphology. You get a chest radiograph, PA and lateral to evaluate lead position, exclude cardiac perforation and look for lead fractures. Unfortunately, they're not always visible, and you can also use a pacemaker magnet. The application of the magnet over the pacemaker turns off the sensing function via the read switch and temporarily converts the pacemaker from a demand or synchronous mode to the fixed rate or asynchronous mode, which means that the pacemaker will continuously asynchronously pace at a specified rate, which is usually around 70 beats per minute. This allows assessment of whether the pacing function is intact and whether the pacing stimulus can capture the myocardium. This is especially helpful in cases in which the baseline EKG does not reveal any pacemaker spikes. Moreover, it allows assessment of the battery status. A decrease in the magnet rate suggests battery depletion. Signs of pacemaker failure include slowing of the pacing rate, which is due to battery depletion. Replacement is urgent if the rate is 10% below the set point and a rapidly paced rhythm resembling VTAC, also known as the runaway pacemaker, which is usually due to battery depletion or circuitry malfunction. And for select pacing problems, failure to pace is detected clinically by the absence of pacemaker spikes in a patient whose intrinsic cardiac rhythm is slower than the programmed pacemaker rate. Causes of failure to pace are wire fracture or battery depletion or oversensing which is the sensing of electrical events not associated with atrial or ventricular depolarizations. And oversensing suppresses impulse generation in pacemakers in the inhibit mode. It is more common in patients with unipolar leads and the most common cause of failure to pace. There's also failure to sense or capture, which is detected clinically by the presence of pacemaker spikes occurring at the wrong time, which is failure to sense, or the presence of pacemaker spikes without associated QRS complexes, which is failure to capture. Causes here include lead malposition, wire or insulation fracture, battery depletion, or increased myocardial threshold due to fibrosis or inflammation of the electrode tip, lead displacement, hyperkalemia, or antidysrhythmic drugs, particularly those that prolong the QRS complex, ischemia, or heart attack. There's also pacemaker-mediated tachycardia. This occurs only in patients with dual-chamber pacemakers that are programmed for synchronous arterioventicular pacing. The management of this may be terminated by using a pacemaker magnet to briefly turn off the sensing function, while definitive therapy requires reprogramming of the atrial refractory period by a pacemaker specialist. There is also the runaway pacemaker, which may be triggered by battery depletion. This rarely occurs now because most of the newer pacemakers have built-in safety circuits. However, if you see this, um, the heart rate is frequency over 200 beats per minute, and the management here is just putting a magnet over the pacemaker, which may break the rhythm. However, if this is unsuccessful and the patient is hemodynamically unstable, the pacemaker must be disconnected. To do this, you need to exteriorize the pacer and cut the electrode wires. These wires may be reconnected to a temporary pacer if the patient's underlying rhythm is unstable. And yes, that means cutting under their skin into their chest. 
now for automatic implantable cardioverter defibrillators, or AICDs. The indications here, they're placed in patients at high risk of fatal dysrhythmias and sudden cardiac death. Included in this high-risk group are patients who survived an episode of sudden cardiac death and those with a prior MI or Brugada syndrome. In these patients, AICDs decrease the risk of sudden cardiac death remarkably from 30 to 45% per year to less than 2% per year. There are a few AICD issues that you could encounter in the ED, and they are frequent and current AICD discharges. This may result from more frequent episodes of ventricular fibrillation or ventricular tachycardia, sensing malfunction or false sensing or ghost shocks, which are patient-reported shocks where actually no shock has occurred. Here you evaluate with continuous cardiac monitoring, EKG and chest x-ray, AP and lateral, cardiac markers, and drug levels. You also want to get potassium, magnesium, and calcium levels. Hypomagnesemia is a common cause of dysrhythmias in AICD patients. You do telemetry interrogation of the AICD with an AICD specialist, and you consult the patient's cardiologist. Now, how you inactivate an AICD is you place a magnet over it or over the AICD generator, and that will inactivate it and thereby prevent further shocks. When you are performing CPR and the patient has an AICD, you can perceive a shock from the AICD, but it is neither uncomfortable or dangerous. External transthoracic defibrillation or R-pads shocking them may also be performed in the standard manner. However, the paddles or pads should not be placed close to the AICD generator and the placement is otherwise unchanged. And lastly, infection for these patients who present with erythema induration or drainage at the generator site require hospitalization for IV antibiotics. Early infections are usually caused by staph.